the push towards globalism, the push towards a one-world government that uh, we are seeing right now. All you have to do, by the way, if you doubt that this is going on, put turn CNN on and just take notes. Dot the I's, cross the T's. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of uh, talk about and uh, argumentation that we should move into a one-world government. They don't like using the phrase a one-world government anymore um, because too many freedom-loving Americans uh, cry foul. And so instead what they'll talk about uh, will be things like an international criminal court. Okay. So uh, an international body that overrides the sovereignty of nations and can try people for war crimes or whatever it may be. Uh, we'll also talk about the United Nations peacekeeping force. So all of a sudden, the United Nations has a military. Everybody else has an has a ugly military. But somehow the United Nations, their guys who wear helmets, and the nice blue ones, there's guys who wear helmets and have carry weapons and shoot at people. Somehow they're peacekeepers. Everybody else's military is kind of like an evil, evil force. Um, and so you have an international court inter enforcing international laws. You have um, a uh, United Nations military force that um, kind of overrides that of individual uh, nations. Um, you, you have a uh, uh, push towards a one world religion, the United Religion or, or Organization. Um, signers of the United Religions Initiative with Bishop Swing and Robert Mueller are trying to gather all the religions to get them to agree on more and more uh, uh, aspects uh, more and more doctrines and trying to build uh, a one-world religion. Uh, you have a World Bank. We're being moved towards a one-world economy, free trade between nations, regardless of whether the nations are slaughtering their people or not. And so the boundaries are being broken down. We're talking about in Europe, they're going with the euro dollar, uh, one currency for all of Europe. Now the United States is talking about one currency with Mexico and Canada, okay? Eventually we'll be on a world currency. Uh, some some uh, computer experts are arguing in both in, in uh, uh, both Time magazine and uh, uh, computer magazines arguing that eventually we'll go to a cashless society uh, quite uh, possibly with a microchip under the skin and planted under the skin. And so when you have a one-world economy, when you're moving towards a one-world economy and international laws enforced by international military, okay, and then you're trying to unite all religions, I mean, if that doesn't spell one-world government in its most vicious form, I don't know what does. And uh, so the call for one-world government is loud. Now, sometimes it's, it's just blatant, right? Secular Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2, written in 1933 and 1973, and now Paul Kurtz put together Humanist Manifesto 2000. There, the world leading atheists argue for what kind of world they would like us to live in. And lo and behold, they're proclaiming a one world socialistic government, okay? 
Uh, but you find this also in the writings of New Agers. So it's not just the atheists, those who deny the existence of God, and the, uh, but it's also the New Agers, the pantheists, who believe all reality is one and that we should have a one-world government as well as a one-world uh, religion. And so when everything comes down, it appears that with the exception of uh, the United States and born-again Christians and the nation of Israel, okay, um, everybody wants a one-world government. Now, now, keep in mind, the, the Muslims present somewhat of a problem, especially the Muslim fanatics, because they want a one-world government, but they want a one-world Islamic government, okay? But whatever the case, you have this big push towards a one-world uh, government. Uh, take a look at Genesis 9-6. I want us to learn a few things about, first, the biblical view of government, and then why God is opposed to a one-world government. Now, you know, we're celebrating the 4th of July, July 7th, but we're still celebrating the 4th of July, our independence, our freedom. And it's nice to know that America was founded on a biblical foundation. America was founded upon biblical principles of government and morality, okay? Um, but we're falling from that, and hence the need for this message. Uh, Genesis 9, 6, after the flood, God tells Noah, okay, there's been some changes in the Earth's atmosphere. Plant life isn't as wholesome as it used to be. I'm going to allow you to kill animals to eat animals, okay? But he wanted to remind them that you, human life is sacred, so you don't kill humans. Now, before the flood, man's wickedness had become so widespread that God had to destroy the entire world uh, and all the people in it, with the exception of Noah and his family and the animals they took aboard the ark. Okay? There, apparently, there was no human government before the flood. And so God institutes human government here in Genesis 9, 6, okay, he starts human government, it was God's idea, not man's idea, so that the powerful would not enslave and kill the weak. Okay, that's important. God institutes human government to restrain evil and to protect the weak from the powerful which means that when human government becomes the powerful enslaving the weak or slaughtering the weak, it is the exact opposite of what God intended human government to be. Okay? Um, well, look at Genesis 9, 6. God says this to Moses after allowing man to uh, eat animals. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he made man. So God tells Noah and his family, yes, you can kill animals, but if somebody kills an innocent human being, then I'm going to delegate my authority as judge to human beings so that they, they now can judge and put to death the murder. This is why Cain was not put to death. The human government had yet, or God was going to judge him, period. 
But now God decides to some of the wrath that he's going to bring down on the evildoer, he decides to delegate some of that wrath to humans to uh, set up governments and to sit in judgment on other individuals, thus restraining evil and preserving life on the planet. Uh, in Romans 13, 1 to 4, Romans 13, 1 to 4, Paul says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Okay? And uh, then it goes down further to verse 4, For he the, the uh, ruler is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, obviously, you could take this passage and, and write books on this passage, and they, and they have been written. Uh, but whatever the case, the important thing that the first understand is that all authority, now you can abuse authority, but all authority comes from God. All true authority comes from God. Governments, governmental authority comes from God. God instituted human government. And the ruler, whether he recognizes it or not, as long as he is really restraining evil, is a minister, a servant of God, whether he likes it or not, whether he knows it or not. And so these two passages put together, Genesis 9, 6 and Romans 13, 1 to 4, tell us that government is, is instituted by God. Now, why did God institute uh, human government? There's two reasons. Okay? Those, those who reject the existence of an all-powerful God and, and that he is the creator, those who deny creation and the fall, to be totally honest with you, they have no basis for human government whatsoever. Okay? See, because of human life, it, 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 for human government to even make sense, human life has to, number one, be worth protecting, human life and human rights, I mean, in a world without God, there are no human rights. I don't care how many protests atheists want to engage in, if there is no God and we were not created in His image, there is no basis for human rights. Okay? So human life has to, number one, be worth protecting, but then number two, human life has to need protecting. Take away either one of those, okay, and there's no basis for human government. Uh, look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, human life is sacred. Human life is sacred because we human beings were created in God's image. We reflect the glory of God. Now, because we've fallen, we've marred that, we've distorted it, but still, even after the flood, God says, 
that you should not shed man's blood, for in the image of God uh, made he man. Okay? So we still bear, we still reflect the image of God to the degree that human life is sacred. If we're nothing but a bunch of evolved animals, there is no basis for human government. Okay? Uh, you know, you get these vegetarians and stuff like that that want to protect animals from being eaten by humans, but apparently they have no problem with animals eating animals. Um, you know, nobody wants to uh, imprison a lion for eating a, a, a calf or whatever. And um, so, uh, but basically, if human life, unless human life is sacred, it's not worth protecting. But even if it's worth protecting, if mankind is not evil, if mankind is not fallen into sin, then we don't need to protect mankind, and we don't need government. Um, we don't have time to look at it, but in Genesis 3, mankind fell. In the garden, Adam and Eve fell. They sided with Lucifer, who spoke through the serpent, uh, God's number one enemy, and now we inherit a sin nature from him so that the first human being born, Cain, was a murderer. Okay? Because we're fallen, because we have a sin nature, because we do evil things, because mankind is human beings are cruel to other human beings, Okay? We need to protect human life and human rights. So it's the combination of those two, that human lives are worth protecting because they're sacred, the sanctity of human life, human life is sacred because we were created in God's image, but then number two, because mankind has fallen, human life needs protecting. Okay? If mankind was not fallen, you wouldn't have any enemies. Everybody would be your friend. Everybody would treat you the way God wants you to be treated, and you wouldn't need government. Okay? But even if we were slaughtering each other, if human life was not created in God's image, human life still wouldn't be worth protecting. And so we need the combination of two. It really, it really baffles me that people who would deny the existence of, of the Creator God who deny creation in the fall would then argue for bigger government. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, to be totally honest with you, Bill Clinton and his view of big government, since he doesn't take seriously the biblical accounts of creation in the fall, uh, why big, you know, the question should be, well, well, Bill, why do you want big government? The question should be, Bill, why do you want government at all? And it seems to me that the anti-Christian people that are out there, the whole reason for them wanting human government is not to protect human life because it's worth protecting and needs protecting, but it's a grab for power. It's a way that the few can gain positions of power and then unleash their power and their will upon the unsuspecting masses, the unsuspecting billions. Um, but whatever the case, that's the biblical basis for human government. But then there's a problem, okay? 
big, big problem here. If we need human government because humans are sinful, well, guess who heads, who leads human governments? Sinful humans. Okay? Now, if there's a bunch of thugs down the block and they want to beat you up and uh, steal your house, steal your goods, okay, the government authorities... They know about these thugs, and these thugs have already committed a crime. They're supposed to lock them up and protect you. But God knows that the human leaders of human governments have the same sin problem that the thugs down the block have. So God never intended the leaders of human government to have unlimited power. Their power had to be limited. And so basically, because simple humans had government, government power needs to be limited. Example, just one, one clear example of this is in Mark 12, 17. Uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you know, paying taxes and all, but to God what is God's. In other words, right there, it's saying that, hey, if Caesar demands what is rightfully only God's, if Caesar demands worship, you say no. You give Caesar what is deserving of Caesar, but you only give to God what is deserving of God. And when the government tries to play God, we have to say no. And uh, like the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God uh, rather than man when the government commands us to do things which God, uh, you know, when the government's commands contradict the commands of God. Uh, also, another interesting thing is that the king in the Israel, okay, there, there was a distinction between the priests, uh, the line of the priests, the religious leaders, and the line of the king. Kings came from Judah, and uh, the priests came from the Levitical tribe. So automatically you had somewhat of a separation. Not the separation of church and state that anti-Christians talk about, but the separation of church and state that Thomas Jefferson spoke about, where the king had no right to force the priest uh, to do his bidding. The priests were directly accountable to God, okay, and not to the king. And uh, and that that the healthy separation of church and state means freedom of religion. The government has no right to control the church. Okay? So when the government says we will control the schools and we will keep prayer out of the schools, that's the government trying to control the church. I don't care how smart and how fancy the terminology that the atheists and the New Agers use, whatever terminology they use, fact of the matter, that's the government controlling the church. And not only should the government not control the church, it should be so limited it shouldn't even control the schools. Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, they wanted the government to control the schools. 
Plato wanted the government to control the schools. Our founding fathers did not want the government, the federal government, to even have any say about the schools. That's why you will not find a Department of Education in the Constitution of the United States. And the Tenth Amendment to the, the uh, Constitution and the Bill of Rights clearly says that any power not directly given to the federal government in this small document called the Constitution automatically falls back to the states and the people respectively. Okay? So that's a state issue and an issue of the people that's a local issue. Parents and teachers in a local community should determine what gets taught, not the federal government. Otherwise, it becomes indoctrination and political correct, correctness, which is what Marx and Engels wanted. It's, in fact, it's even what Plato wanted, rather than good, solid, true education. And so basically, the biblical view of government is this. Because human life is worth creating, is worth defending, worth protecting, and because human life needs protecting, we need human government. But because human government is headed by sinful humans, we need to limit the power of the government leaders. Now, how did our founding fathers do that? Well, in the Constitution, they limited the powers of the governing officials in, in several ways. I mean, communists and people who are pro-big government would look at our Constitution and think, boy, these founding fathers in America were idiots. Here they had the power to enslave their people, and instead they handcuffed themselves. But that's exactly what the Founding Fathers wanted to do. You had a separation of powers. So the federal government, there was no one king to call the shots. Okay? You had a president in the executive branch. Okay? You had the judicial branch, and you had the legislative branch. Okay? Three different branches of government with a system of checks and balances so no one branch could dominate and rule over, over the people like a tyrant. Okay? But then you also had a separation of powers between the federal government and the state governments. I mean, when you look at the Constitution, it is a very tiny document. The federal government has very little constitutional power. Fortunately, now our government, the federal government, has buku uh, non-constitutional power. Powers that it's, it's added to itself, Department of Education and all these other departments that have become so big that it's involved in every aspect of our lives. The federal government has very little power because our founding fathers took seriously the fallenness of humans. And of, you, and of government leaders as well. And uh, uh, actually, the state government would, was supposed to be more visible than the federal government. And then if the state government was smart, its own constitution would be a lot like the federal constitution. So even that power would trickle on down to the local communities. Okay? I'll be honest with you, I don't even... I'm not even too interested about state government anymore, and I'm not real interested about local government on a community level, not because it's not important, but because it's almost totally irrelevant. 
We've got to the point where even local communities, let alone states, do whatever the federal government says. All the federal government has to do to accomplish that is to throw a few million dollars into the state education and all of a sudden uh, the federal government runs the show rather than uh, the, the states. Um, now, take a look at Genesis chapter 11. I just want to show that God is opposed to, to human world government. And by the way, uh, it goes without saying that that's already the case. I mean, if God wants human government to be limited, then why in the world would God be for, you know, be pro-world government, which by its definition is unlimited, is a government unlimited in power and in scope? Okay? Um, but look at Genesis 11, Tower of Battle. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. You know, we might, we might stop right there and say, wouldn't that be great? If all humans spoke the same language, what unity we could have? Well, guess what? God's opposed to that kind of unity of, uh, among mankind. If we're still in rebellion against God, the worst thing that could possibly happen is uh, a one united world. If the world unites in its rebellion against God, all we're going to do is usher in destruction of the human race. Okay? And because God's a merciful God, He'll keep us, he has chosen to keep us separate. Uh, now the day will come, we'll have one language, and we'll have a one world government with total peace. But that's the day when we have the all-powerful, all-perfect king. The king of kings, the Lord Jesus reigning. Until that point, the worst possible government we could have is human government that is a, a one world government. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. They came to pass as they journeyed from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So they were all hanging out together rather than multiplying and fill the earth like God wanted them to do. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. See, it's kind of, they wanted to, they were doing this to glorify themselves as a united mankind. Totally opposed to uh, glorifying God. Uh, the evidence, archaeological evidence seems to indicate that this was a tower among many towers, so this was the largest tower, so going to be the largest tower, to worship the stars. Okay, so it was saturated with false pagan religion. Uh, they didn't want to be scattered over the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad 
over the face of all the earth. Uh, listen, this is important. It was God's plan to keep the governments of man, the national governments of man, separate. Okay? I think the only purpose that we should have for learning other people's languages is like for missionary work. I mean, God did that at the Feast of Pentecost. He broke down the language barrier for the purpose of spreading his truth. So to preach Jesus, I praise God that missionaries like New Tribes Missions Break down the language barrier, learn the language of other peoples, and share the gospel message with them. Okay? But our goal in learning other languages should not be to make a name for ourselves. To have a one world community, a united community, where we're all united in our rebellion against God. Okay? And by the way, this is why we Christians are the target. This is why we're considered the enemy. We are, you know, they want this one world united community, and we're saying, well, we can't unite fully. We love you, and we want to share Jesus with you, but we can't unite fully with you and give our full allegiance to you because you're still in rebellion against God. Until you accept Jesus as Savior, we can't hold hands with you. I mean, we love you and we want to talk about Jesus to you and we'll buy you some food even. Okay? But we have to be separate in the ultimate sense because we, we don't worship the same God that you do. You see, the way the world views that is, see, these Christians are getting in the way and they're holding back human progress and human peace because they won't jump on our global bandwagon. So you have people like Barbara Marks Hubbard who want one, one of every four people on the planet Earth exterminated because we believe in the existence of a personal God and we refuse to uh, believe that man is God. Um, Daniel 9.26 tells us that even to the end there will be war. Okay. So this idea that man is going to bring peace to the planet Earth through his own wisdom and ingenuity, that does not hold. But by the way, getting back to the Tower of Babel, God is not against races of people coming together and loving one another. God is not opposed to that. What God is opposed to is the consolidation of power into the hands of a few. So God wants to keep the power of different governments separate. Okay? God has no problem with America having limited government, protecting its people's God-given inalienable rights, and then allowing people from all other countries to enter our country through legal means and then to become part of our system. What God is opposed, opposed to is just the breaking down of borders and boundaries 